0: Well, I invite you to look to 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11 this morning. Two weeks ago, Pastor Eddie began this series of messages for us, and he reminded us that Easter is not just a day, in fact, Easter is not just a season, but rather that Easter is convincingly expressed through people. He went on to tell us that Easter people are the people living in the light of the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit, becoming these living testimonies. He summarized God's invitation in all of this with these words. He said, let us walk as the children of the Easter light. So that's where we began. Last week, Pastor Serena said that we can live as children of light, because we are the beloved of God, because we are chosen children of God. I hope you got hold of the magnitude of that. We are are chosen by God to be his children. That's just a powerful thought. And as the beloved of God, we then live differently. We live distinct from the culture around us. And our lives radiate this life of Jesus The world. So we become testimonies of hope and forgiveness, a testimony of a different kind of people in the world, a testimony that sin and death have lost their sting, and that our lives, our very lives, testify to this possibility. As I've been thinking about what we've been sharing, where we've gone, I'm asking myself this question Is there any kind of life more needed? today, in our world, than this kind of life. Think about where we've been the last 14 months. As we begin to emerge from the deep winter, if you will, of the past 14 months, I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's great work, The Chronicles of Narnia. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you may recall that in Narnia, it was always winter, but never Christmas. It was always the death-like harshness of winter without the warm grace of Christmas. But then, as, as the beaver put it, Aslan is on the move. And soon the hope of budding flowers and bubbling springs and chirping birds was heard. Uh, But it was the dwarf who said this. This is no ordinary thaw. This is spring. The winter has been destroyed. This is Aslan's doing. And in those very graphic words capture for us this image c.s lewis captures the power of resurrection life beginning to emerge from the death-like grip of winter life coming up springing up out of the snow evidence of the great lion aslan's life-giving power and life emits from the death-destroying resurrection of jesus Living on the other side of Easter perhaps offers us a perspective of what it means to now live on the other side of the winter darkness that even this past year has brought to us in different forms. Just think about it. So we are turning to someone, as was was explained a couple weeks ago, we're turning to someone who's an eyewitness to all of this. As we see in the very first verse of 1 John, this, this one who has heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John had had not only seen him, he had touched him, he had been with him, he had watched him, he had been there for it all. But the words that we're reading in 1 John are not written in the immediate afterglow of some joyful time immediately following the empty tomb, but rather they're written in reflection decades later, having endured struggles and persecutions and false teachers and hardships. The words are written in the context of a group of people, religious people, mind you, seeking to divide the budding church. This letter, 1 John, is the letter It is a letter for these disruptive and divisive and polarizing days we live in. I would encourage you to read the entire letter. Maybe each week read from 1 John 1 to 1 John 5 and hear the word. In some ways in this world of ours, in this disruptive, divisive, polarizing world, we have been pushed to the grip of winter's grip that seems unceasing. John, the beloved disciple, offers for us in chapter 3 an alternative to the wintry world around us. A world given graphic description in our text this morning, beginning at verse 11. Graphic description of our world in the example of Cain. Let's start there today. This is the word of the Lord. We read these words. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, verse 12, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. What interesting words for us this morning. And what a question. What a question the scriptures ask. And why did he murder him? Now we do not know exactly the circumstances perhaps around some of that. We only know that his actions were evil, but this captures the dehumanizing winter of the source of evil, selfishness. J.D. Walt recently asked the question, what is the opposite of humility? And when we ask that question, what is the opposite of humility? We very quickly answer pride. But the scripture teaches us that humility is not, it's not about the self, but others. So the opposite of humility is not pride, but selfishness. So Cain is a contrast to the primary evidence that Jesus rose from the dead in this way. Cain turned life into death. And that is what we see around us in the world, is it not? How in the world, you have to ask yourself, How in the world could Cain get to the place where he killed his own brother? Well, Tish Warren is passionate about the sanctity of human life. And I would really commend her recent article, which is titled this, What Pro-Lifers Can Learn from Planned Parenthood's Apology. Because in it... She describes what I will call the Cain effect. Listen to these words. Once any of us is dehumanized, we all become dehumanized. Once we devalue one group of people, we begin to do the same with others. Dehumanization is a malignancy that spreads. And it's always fatal. It always ends in death. Ignoring 400 years of dehumanization of people of color is not simply anti-woke, it's anti-life. Similarly, painting refugees and immigrants as dangerous or unwanted is not simply pro-American, it's anti-life. Black men are still disproportionately more likely to be sentenced to death for crimes, particularly if their victims are white. Migrants continue to die while trying to cross the southern border. These are all life issues. Like abortion, they too point to patterns of dehumanization that lead to death. And here's the quote. Here it is. We cannot pick and choose which kinds of dehumanization are acceptable. Dehumanization is dehumanization. And dehumanization is always death-dealing. I read that article, that so convicted my heart. But it made me see Cain dehumanized his brother. Which made it easier to deal in death. And so the text poignantly says, do not be like Cain. But Jesus brings people from the cold, harsh winter of death to the warm spring of new life. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, spring births forth. New life births forth in us. This is the death-to-life dynamic of Jesus, contrasted by the life-robbing values of a Cain-like world. And in the beauty of the contrast, we hear the echo of an invitation. We hear, do not be like Cain, but we also hear, do be like Jesus. Reveal the Easter reality of turning death into life. In a sermon long ago, these words were spoken. Hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. If I hit you, and you hit me, and I hit you back, and you hit me back, that goes on ad infinitum. It just never ends. Somewhere, somebody must have a little sense, and that's the strong person. The strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate, the chain of evil. And that is the tragedy of hate, that it doesn't cut it off. It only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. Somebody must have religion enough and morality enough to cut it off and inject within the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. Somebody must inject within the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. When Dr. Martin Luther King preached those words... 1957, they speak to us today of this powerful living Christ in this way. Those who have been captivated by the living Christ seek to preserve life, not take it. They seek to honor life, all of life, and not destroy it. The culture of Cain dehumanizes, but the culture of the living Christ injects within the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. In some ways, that's what 1 John, the entire letter, is about. This is the heart of this letter from John. He is presenting the evidence for everything we believe about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But he's not pointing to the historical evidence for the resurrection. That would have been easy to do. But rather, here is the primary evidence that John gives. Verse 14, did you hear it? We know we have passed from death to life because we love. That's resurrection language. We know we have passed from death to life because we love. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You see, that's the Cain effect. But the first part is resurrection effect. We know we have passed from death to life because we love. And then he goes on to say this. One of the issues that John is confronting in 1 John is this Gnostic dualism of his day. And that Gnostic dualism taught that you can have a superior spiritual knowledge, that you can have an elitist mentality of your faith while it having no bearing on how you live. While it would have no bearing on how you treated other people. It was a spiritual knowledge that was self-promoting. It was elitist. And it allowed, people, it allowed people to turn away from those in need and those suffering. But the knowledge that John emphasizes here is different. He says this, we know we have passed from death to life because we love. If you want to know if you actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus if you really want to know if you believe that, if I believe that, the key metric is not Bible knowledge. The key metric is not religious devotion. It's it's not the ability to defend the resurrection. The key metric is not how you can change the morality of a culture. But rather, the key metric, according to Scripture, in the belief of the resurrection, is how self-giving love is evidenced in our actions, especially towards those in need. Do you know that is how winter melted in Narnia? It melted because of Aslan the lion's self-giving love. And that is how winter can melt in our world. Again, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Laid down his life. Life, lay down our lives. We read those words, and I think we like to distance ourselves from those somewhat. I think naturally so. Because we think of actually dying, physically dying for our faith. And we don't want to think about dying for our faith, like the Egyptian Christian businessman, Nabil Habashi Salama, who was martyred just last week by ISIS. His crime, he supported building a church. None of us really want that, I think, some ways. If we were honest, most of us are not prepared to be martyrs where we actually die for others. But you see, that's not what this passage really is about. When John writes, Jesus laid down his life for us, he uses the exact same terminology to describe Jesus in the upper room in John chapter 13. In verse four, these famous words point that picture for us. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Lay down your life. He laid aside his outer garments. Same language. And so the laying aside is not necessarily some grand and glorious act, not a, not a big statement of public display or of religious devotion, not solely expressed in dying for the faith physically, but rather fundamentally in the simple ways we give our lives for those, especially those in need. It is the idea of divesting ourselves of something that we personally value for the sake of others. It is the idea of giving away something that is precious to us. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? This idea, this phrase has no pity on them. It literally suggests that we need to guard against closing ourselves off. When we have no pity, we we close ourselves off. We need to guard against that, shielding ourselves and our resources from the suffering and the need of others. It suggests that we, 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 are, we may be tempted to protect ourselves from feeling the emotion of seeing people in need and then refusing to help them. Maybe you have not done that, but I know I've done that. I've done that when I'm watching TV and suddenly there's a commercial for some organization of, of suffering children and the images of the children come across the screen and I, I want to turn the channel. I want to forget about that part of my world. That's kind of the idea here. But you see, when we shut ourselves off from the suffering of others and we give all kinds of excuse structures for it, that does not evidence the living Jesus. And that's the point here. We who have resources and goods are to open our hearts to people in need. And what happens is that love is now transformed from just being a Christian doctrine, from being part of a sermon, to being some nice warm idea, to a visible activity that gives evidence that Jesus Christ lives right now, and that he lives in us, and that he lives through us, and that the resurrection of Jesus is in fact true. It's an echo of that earliest of church hymns from Philippians chapter 2. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God, something to exploit, but he emptied himself. You see, the beloved children of God, the beloved children of God want to find ways to empty themselves. The beloved children of God want to bring life instead of death to the world. Jesus did not clutch to his resource of divinity. But rather he divested himself of his privilege. He opened himself to suffering and need. He opened himself to your suffering, my suffering, our suffering and our need. And as Gary Burge said... Those who exhibit love, those who forgive freely and value their neighbor, bring life, healing, and goodness to others. These are nothing less than divine attributes. These become evidence of a living Christ. We know we have passed from death to life because we love. We know that Easter is true. It is true to our lives when it leads to a self-giving love because we have been loved in such a self, totally self-giving manner by Jesus. Easter has hands and feet. Remember that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he appeared with the wounds in his hands and his feet. Easter has hands and feet, your hands and feet, my hands and feet, our hands and feet, loving incarnationally. How do we know if Easter is real? How do we know if Easter is real? By how we love others. And once again... This is how the cold, harsh winter of our dehumanizing world can begin to thaw as we see evidence of the life-giving love of Jesus. This is how we can know Easter is real. By you and me and by our love. Thanks be to God. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the way and the ways in which you have loved us so richly, so deeply. It is so true. We can't wrap our heads around it. We are the beloved of God. We just can't wrap our heads around it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for how richly You love us. And Lord, the truth in our world that will break winter's grip in this dehumanizing world is your resurrection. And it's evidence in the lives of all of us who proclaim that truth. So, Lord God, we pray today that as we now move into the day, move into the fabric of life and world, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would live as children of light. We would live as the beloved children of God. We would live as evidence to the fact that Easter is real. Love through us, O Christ. Love through us and break the grip of winter's hold. And may hope spring eternal to those who come in contact with us thanks be to God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.